wrote to the church at Corinth. It was, they were educated people. They were very uh, like cosmopolitan, multicultural, multi-ethnic sort of a crowd. And you know what Corinth was like? We, we hear about the architecture of Corinth. They were amazing builders and uh, had great art and culture, all, all of those things. And the Apostle Paul said to the people of Corinth, he said, what I'm about to talk to you about, some of you will be offended by this. And some of you just won't understand it at all. He knew that it would be divisive, uh, what he was going to talk about. But he said, this, what I want to share with you is the centerpiece of my teaching. It's the whole point of what this is all about, of what God coming down to us is all about. He said, I'm going to talk to you about it anyway. And he made it, it was like God's masterstroke. He made it the main point of everything he was talking about. I'm talking this morning about the cross of Jesus, the cross on which Jesus died. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, he said, it's foolish, the message of the cross, it's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. See, the Jews, they believed in God. They believed in a supernatural God. They saw God as being up in heaven and, and all powerful and all that sort of thing. So when Paul came explaining that God came down and subjected himself to a cruel death on the cross, they couldn't get that. It just did their head in. They thought, what are you talking about? They were offended by it. And the Greeks who were there in Corinth, that's where they were, um, they were the academics, they were the educated people, they were the influential people, they were into culture, they were into debating and all human wisdom and all that sort of thing. It says that um, the Greeks who seek human wisdom, it seemed like it was foolish to them. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles or the Greeks say it's all nonsense. Basically, Paul was ostracizing a fair part of the crowd at that time. And so when he'd finished doing that, finished ostracizing all the people, he said this in 1 Corinthians 1, 18. He said, I know very well how foolish the message of the cross is, sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. But we who are being saved recognize this message as the very power of God. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the power of God, which is the, the message of the cross of Jesus. And friends, we need to have this in our heart. We need to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he opened the door to all of the power of God. We are redeemed through, the, through, through his death on the cross. When his blood was shed on the cross, our sins were cleansed and purged and done away with, the Bible says. Our, our bodies are healed, which we heard about earlier today, uh, because of when his body was broken, the Bible says, we were healed. We are healed. We need to know about the cross. We need to think about it. We need to talk about the cross. It's so important. Nothing can change a human heart like the message of the cross. And yet the message is so simple. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's so simple for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, You remember, friends, when I first came to you to let you in on God's masterstroke, I didn't try to, that's the cross, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then, Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. That's our message. 
That's got to be our main message because everything else is wrapped up in that. When we understand that Jesus died in our place, everything changes. Everything starts to come together. You know, the world at large generally doesn't get the cross of Jesus. You know, there would have been some that saw Jesus, that were standing by when he, Jesus was crucified on the cross. And they would have said, well, this is the final act of justice for this notorious troublemaker. You know, finally he got his just deserts. He got what was coming to him. They were clueless about the fact that they were witnessing what was the pivot point of human history. They, they failed to see that what was happening right in front of them was the most significant event of all human history. And today... There are some people who look at maybe, maybe on a building. There are church buildings around that have got crosses on them. And they say, oh, it's just a, a, an, a, some kind of a religious icon from a, from a bygone age. Something that, that went out with drive-in theatres and, and, and postage stamps. You know, something that's, something that's finished. I know some of you use postage stamps as well. I'm just saying that. Just saying. But today I want us to focus on the cross for a few moments and ask some questions. What's so amazing about the cross of Jesus and the message of the cross? And I hope that you can get this into your heart today. Number one, it's the power of God that saves people. And people need to be saved. I don't know if you're here in this room today, you need to be saved. We all need to be saved. We all need God's love in our heart. We all need the grace of God to come into our life. We need to be saved. In the book of Acts, in the Bible, Peter and John, two of the early followers of Jesus, they were going one afternoon to the temple, the Jewish temple, to pray. They had a prayer meeting in the afternoons. And, and um, they were going there. And they met this guy who was a cripple, who'd been crippled from birth. And he, he looked up to them and, and, and he started you know, crying out. And you know, he, they were, he was hoping to get um, a donation. Uh, he was hoping that they would give him something. He was a beggar. He was, he was completely crippled. And Peter said this, these amazing words. Peter and John looked at him intently and said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, have you ever been in a, in a you ever, who's been in walking in the street somewhere? It happens in Australia too, where people have been begging. You know, I, I've been in the third world a number of times and, you know, where there's been large scale beggars, you know, and, um, it's very, it's very hard because you just don't know. You want to, you want to help them. You want to, and you know that anything that you can give them, you know, in our money, like a dollar in our money is probably a week's. Though they live on a week for that, or, or you know, small amounts for us are a lot to people in those circumstances. And Peter said, "I don't have any silver or gold for you." I love the message translation here. It says, "I don't have a nickel to my name," <laughs> but. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And he took hold of the man's hand and pulled him up and he started walking. It was incredible. Peter took the layman by the hand, helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up stood on his feet, began to walk, then walking, leaping and praising God, went into the temple with them. Well, this created quite a stir, as you can imagine, because everyone knew this guy. He'd been, he'd been sitting there for years and years begging. Everyone knew who he was. They recognized him. It really got things going. And, all, and then Peter and John, they started preaching and explaining what had just happened to this guy. 
And as you can imagine, there was not only a great commotion, but a great response. In fact, uh, it says there that thousands of people responded to their message on that day. This wasn't the first day. The first was the day of Pentecost, a little bit earlier. This this came later, Acts chapter 3 we're talking about. And, and it says thousands of people responded because they couldn't deny what had just happened. They couldn't deny it. It was irrefutable what had just happened to them. I've actually seen this myself in India. And I, I wanted to see, where's David? He's not here. He was with me um, when we were in India in 1990. We saw almost exactly the same thing happen. You know, uh, a young boy who had polio uh, was crawling through the house, um, like crawling on, on hands and knees, and he couldn't. We're in a house in a little village in India. And uh, we prayed for this about 10-year-old child. And he got up and he started running through the house. That's pretty amazing. And I just want to say, friends, that people need to experience firsthand the power of God and the saving power of God in their life. It's not enough for us to simply agree to a set of ideas or, or give mental assent to even a philosophy of life or, or, you know, you could read a book and say, yes, I agree with the book. It's not going to change your life. I, I've, I've been saying this for a long time and um, I've, been, I've been a bit of a student of what does it take to save someone's life, to save their soul? They need to, yes, they, I guess they need to agree to some things. Sure, you need to believe in some things, but you've got to have an experience with God where you know that Jesus has come on the inside and your life has been forever changed. It's not enough to simply agree to a set of ideas. I mean, you could go out the door this morning and say, yeah, well, I, I agree with, I guess, most of what I heard today. You could agree. That's not the point. The point is, is Jesus living in your heart? It's so significant, friends. One of the, one of the um, phenomena of our times is this thing called deconstruction, where around the world, not small numbers, but thousands of mainly young people, millennials a lot, are rethinking the Christian faith that they grew up with. And they might have grown up in a Christian home. Maybe, maybe they were in church for all their life or, or whatever. And all of a sudden... They start to think about it and they figure out, hang on a minute, this, this faith that I believe in, this, this faith that I've, you know, nailed my colours to the mast on, uh, it doesn't really, it didn't, doesn't fit the circumstance. So what happens is when, when the faith that they've believed in and built their life around doesn't fit their lived experience, they jettison their faith. Now this is happening around the world today and I, I'm, I actually... I've been thinking quite a bit about this lately and, and doing some reading on it. And uh, in a few weeks' time, I want to actually share um, specifically about this, about what, what causes this and what the answers are to it. But I want to say this morning just one, one thing here, and that is that when people have an experience with God, they're not at the mercy of their circumstances of life. And I, th- I think it's, it's really important for us as a church, and I say for us here, but I also say for the church on a broader scale, we have to be able to provide a theology that helps people understand that when, when life's not working out the way they expect it to be, God hasn't ignored, deserted them. 
It's actually part of the growth process and what he wants to do in their life because they'll come through that and they'll begin to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in their life. If our theology only works well when our life is going well, we're going to come unstuck down the track. And I say that to you this morning, friends. You've got to get a picture of God that's bigger than just you having a nice life. If, 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 you're, just, if you're a follower of Jesus when everything's going well and when things start to, when the wheels fall off, you know, well, I've got, I've got to reevaluate now. That means you haven't really encountered God fully. And you need to know that God's much bigger than your circumstances or my circumstances or any of these things that can go wrong in our lives. And so I want to share about this in a few weeks' time and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. We need to have a theology that provides some answers and understanding into the, how we apply the mysteries of life into our personal circumstances of God because there's a lot more to God than what we have understood. And I, I just, um, another little, another reason there is that I believe one of the challenges is that we have a generation right now who've never experienced revival in their life. Now, I, I was talking about this just recently, um, maybe even yesterday, Dallas, we were talking about this briefly, but uh, we, we, <laughs> we have the advantage of being a little bit older, you know, and, um, and we've lived quite a while and we've seen numbers of waves of revival, waves of God's power coming. It might be for a few years, it might be in some cases for five or ten years, but um, we've been blessed by that. We've seen so many seasons come and you, things come and go when the power of God was so evident and anybody and everybody was being healed, for example, or there was so much evidence of the prophetic power of God and the supernatural knowledge of God flowing in the church. And we've seen the, and when you see those things, it does something to you and you know that you're never going to be vulnerable or at the mercy to someone who comes along with a theory and says, oh, I don't believe all that. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's too late. I've, I've seen it work. I've seen the power of God at work so many times that I'm not at the mercy of your theories. So, you know, the old saying that a man with an experience or a woman with an experience is never at the mercy of someone with a theory. We need much more than theories in our life. We have to experience the power of God. Paul says to the, to the Roman church, the church at Rome, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. That's the message of the cross and the message of the gospel. It is the power of God, saving not everyone, but those who believe. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you're, 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 just, you're there, you know. Uh, saving people who believe. Second thing about the message of the cross, it's the love of God that draws people. And uh, I want to just, just briefly again share with you about the story of the prodigal son. I love this story. and um, It's about a, about a uh, young man who grew up in a fa- on a farm, big farm, maybe like, imagine Western Queensland. And uh, so a big, big property and he's got an older brother. But the, the, young, the younger brother, he... He thought, well, you know, I just want to go and check out life for myself. I want to go to the big city. You know, I want to see what life is really about. So he says to, this, to his father one day, um, you know that discussion we've been having about inheritances? You know, one day I might inherit the farm. So, to, Well, I decided I want it now. I just want it now. You know? 
It's a fairly dumb thing to say. And um, he says, um, so the father has no choice, but he says, um, well, okay. He makes the arrangements. So the son gets the money and he's just gone. He's just gone. And as you can imagine, it doesn't last long. And he goes to the big city and this, you know that saying, when, a, when a, a man with money meets a man with experience, the man with experience gets the money, the man with the money gets the experience. That's the way it goes. So um, He lost it all, found himself before long um, feeding pigs in a pig pen with nothing to eat. He was just eking out a bare existence and he, it says he wanted, to, he wanted to fill his belly with the, the corn husks or carob pods, some translations say, because he had nothing to eat. And he's thinking, so what am I doing here back at home? You know, the servants, they, they're living, compared to me, they're living in the lap of luxury. You know, I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to apologize, say, I'm sorry, I've just messed up my whole life. You know, can I just be, can I just be one of the servants? And all the time while this is happening, it says that the father is watching and waiting for, for the son to come back. And it's so easy for us to think that, well, you know, the father, I can imagine he would be saying to himself, one day that son's going to come back here and then I'll, I'll have a piece of his ear. You know, I'll, I'll just, I'll tell him what life is about. I'll talk about the realities of life. I'll just, you know, I'll just, like there's going to be a, a day of accountability there's going to be a day of retribution, maybe. Um, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't anything like that at all. When the son came back, the father was just overjoyed that his son had come back. That's all it was. That's, that's all it tells us about in the Bible. And they went, they actually had a great celebration, a great party. And the, and the father said, you know, my son that was lost has come back again. You know, what an amazing time. Let's, let's celebrate. And there's a whole story. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you've never read the prodigal son's story in Luke chapter 15, I want to encourage you to read it and let the love of God just flow over your life. Because it's a wonderful revelation and understanding of the love of God in our, in our hearts. Some people think that God loves us. A bit like a king and his subjects, you know, like God is up there and we're down here and, you know, there's this kind of paternalistic, you know, relationship. But it's, it's not like that at all. The, the Bible doesn't, doesn't communicate that at all. It's the love of a father that is like nurturing and, and protecting. And for some people who've never known the love of a father, Jesus revealed his father's love. It's like the father in the story, you know, watching for his son to return and, and waiting, like waiting at the gate, waiting for his son to come back and says that he embraces him with hugs and kisses, you know, even though the son would have probably stunk of the pig pen that he was in. The father just went straight up to him. There's a great lesson in this for us, by the way. The, the father went and just embraced the son. He didn't care what he smelt like, what he looked like. You know, he would have been a mess. He, he wasted the father's inheritance. He wasted all that he was given. The father just embraced him and kissed him and then started to shower, you know, the benefits and blessing of sonship on him. It was incredible. And the, the story also tells us that the son had this speech you know, prepared. He had a, a speech that he was going to give to the father. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've messed up. You know, please forgive me. You know, please do this. Or the son, the father never wanted to hear the speech. I think the son got about one sentence in 
And the father said, no, 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 no just leave, leave all that. You know, it's time for a party. Go and, and he said to his servants, go and bring the best robe in the house and bring for him. Uh, you know, and, and go and get ready for a party. We're going to celebrate. And go and bring the, the ring which symbolizes sonship and authority in the family and put it on his finger. I, I just think it's significant, you know, that it doesn't say in this story, nowhere does it say, and I know that we would do this. You, you and I say, well, well okay, son, uh, great to have you back. Just go and get cleaned up a bit first and then we'll, you know, we'll get some good clothes for you. And, you know, it doesn't say that. It just says, get the robe and put on him straight away. Can you, would you do that? I would say, no, 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 just go and have a shower first. And then we'll, you know. it's, it's, it's very significant because what it's saying is it's not our own cleanliness it's not our own righteousness. It's not our own, you know, human endeavor. It's the robe of his righteousness that comes on us that makes all the difference. And so the father said, I don't really, I'm not saying you've got to fix yourself up here. I'm going to put my robe of righteousness on you. I'm, you are righteous now because you are in this house, not because you look and smell great, because he wouldn't have. But the robe of righteousness came. That's pretty powerful when we understand that. That's for you and I, the robe of God's righteousness. Hallelujah. I want to just share with you a little bit about God's love for us today. You know, God's, God's love for us, it's, it's a natural attribute for him. But it's hard to grasp for us when our only point of reference is our human love, the human love of a, of a father. And so we need to get a revelation of God's love. You know, it's, it's not enough just to talk about it and try and work it out. It's got to be shown you when God's love comes into your heart and you know that you are loved by God. When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus that he, that he planted, he, he wrote to them and he said in Ephesians 3, he said, you know, he, he's praying for them. And he says, I'm praying that you will have the power to understand. In other words, God will give you the power to understand as all God's people. How big, you know, God's love for us. How amazing God's love. And that you might experience the love of Christ. It's, it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete. So it's like, you know, we've got to get a revelation from God to be able to understand his love for us, it's not a human quality. It's something way beyond that. He said, I want you to understand. And, and when he wrote to the church in Rome, uh, Romans 5, 8, he said, God demonstrates his love for us. This is how the love of God really works for us. When Jesus died on the cross while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. That's the demonstration of God's love. For us that's maybe you can get your head around that or we can get our heads around that a little bit better it's the highest expression of God's love for us was at the cross when Jesus died second thing God's love for us starts off with sacrifice and then moves to the ultimate sacrifice just want you to think about this for a moment when God the Bible tells us God created the world the heavens and the earth he created it all and he created mankind Adam and Eve put them in the garden and it wasn't long before they went their own way they thought they knew better and they rebelled against God basically and and so what happened is the whole of humanity rebelled against God and went their own way after that 
So when most of God's people um, rejected him, and only a few, a few were believers. I mean, there were people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and people like that were followers of God and, and believers of God. And so even by the time Jesus came, there were still very, very small numbers, really only a few. But, but in God's heart the whole time was this thing that I'm going to redeem them, I'm going to buy them back, I'm going to bring them back to myself. I'm, and he implemented a plan. God put into, into, into operation a plan that would effectively buy back and bring back humanity to himself, which was he himself paying the penalty for our sins on the cross um, because we couldn't do it ourselves. And so that when we simply come in humble uh, humility, the Bible uses the word repentance, to repent. That means to turn away from our old life and to, and to say, I don't want that anymore. I want this. I'm going to follow you, God. I'm going to believe in you, put my trust in you. When we come to him, it says our sins are washed away and are cleansed. When we come in, in simple faith, you can imagine that when, when the Father... Uh, when Jesus was first coming down into the world, was being born as a human baby, you can imagine that all of heaven would have held its breath for a, a bit of time. What's going to happen here? You know, what, what would have been in the Father's heart, can you just imagine, for, for the, the creator of the world, you know, and to, to send his son down into the world, into a world full of violence, full of disease, full of you know, destruction, full of everything, selfishness. We know that angels would have celebrated the birth of Jesus and did celebrate the birth of Jesus. But 33 years later, when Jesus hung upon a cross, all heaven would have fallen silent at that moment. The Bible also tells us, or it indicates that the Father actually had to turn his back for a small part of a period of time then because it was we believe just because it was so horrific to look at his son on the cross carrying the sins of the world on himself it's what love is really about you know it's not about fuzzy feelings feeling good about things you know, there's lots of other things you can do to feel good about yourself but love is not about that it's about sacrifice it's about giving your all for the object of your love. That's what it's really about, what love is really about. Third thing about love is that the love of God is transformational. It changes hearts, but it won't change you until you believe and accept and receive it, or at least begin to receive it. You know, I think this is a progressive thing. You know, we don't just get the whole thing at once. I think the love of God and an understanding of the love of God in our hearts is progressive and it comes to us progressively. But uh, it's transforming. It transforms your life when you begin to receive the love of God. And so the prodigal son, when he returned home, you know, the father's love toward him hadn't changed at all. Hadn't changed. The father loved him the same at the end of the story as he did at the beginning but the son didn't understand or receive the father's love at the beginning he's he began to receive it at the end and i i know that god wants us to come to him just in simple faith and trust and begin to receive his love for us so i wonder can our creative team 
come back for a few moments. He wants us to start to receive his love for us. And that's for you today and for me today, for every one of us here, to begin to understand God's love for us. And, I, and I'm just asking, are you ready to receive God's love for you? Maybe, maybe you're here and you, you've, you've had you know, multiple experiences with God and you've, you've, you've begun to receive His love for you. And maybe you're here and you're still thinking about it. You've never really opened up your heart to God and um, said, I want you to come in. So when we start to, to make those decisions and commitments and say, I'm, I'm ready, you know, will you, will you come into my life, Lord God? When we start to do that, that's when things begin to change. We start to turn our heart toward God. Say, God, I'm, I'm ready. I want to receive from you today. Can you, can you do that this morning? Can you turn your heart towards God? Just turn it towards Him this morning. Hallelujah. I'm just going to pray a simple little prayer. Why don't, we, why don't we all pray this together? Just these words. You can pray it out loud. It's okay. Thank you.